You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are related to our faith in Jesus and the way that it plays out in our everyday lives. In this episode, we answer the question, is the death penalty a good or bad thing? So our criminal justice system has capital punishment as its highest form of punishment for a crime. And so the question we want to answer is, how does that line up with the beliefs of Christianity? Is it a good or bad thing? And how should we think about that? Welcome in to Church Unplugged. Our question today is, is the death penalty a good or bad thing? Is the death penalty a good or bad thing? So it's uh, something that we have in United States society and has been throughout history. The death penalty has been used in the criminal justice system. Uh, Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? How is it compatible or not compatible with the Bible, with Christianity? Uh, Let's go. Okay, I've heard the argument before that... um the death penalty is not consistent with a pro-life stance uh, because most evangelicals would be pro-life and pro-death penalty, which is kind of interesting. And at first glance, I understand that, except that the death penalty should be um, an affirmation of the value of life because the only thing that uh, is just punishment for taking a life would be forfeiting your own. That's what I learned in ethics class in seminary. Yeah, I think uh, when most people think about the death penalty, their starting point is uh, the references to the death penalty in the Bible. So in the Old Testament, uh, there are many offenses that lead uh, to death under the law. And even in the New Testament, you you have passages like, I think what's often cited in this conversation is Romans 13, where... Paul warns that the government is God's agent for justice, that the government bears the sword and not in vain, that, that it's God's you know, ordained instrument to use uh, to, to exert justice. And so most people will say, well, there you go. Uh, the death penalty is uh, biblical. Uh, but I, I'm not sure that uh, that's a full and nuanced understanding of what the New Testament is saying. First of all, in Romans 13, for example, Paul talks about the government bearing a sword, which can be understood to mean any kind of justice, I mean, in any any kind of, of judgment that the government would execute that Paul is telling Christians, look, understand, even though you've been brought into this new faith with understanding that God is in charge, that Jesus is king of the coming kingdom, that should not in any way mean you don't need to fear and respect and obey the earthly government. And if they zap you for it, uh, <clears throat> too bad that you should have obeyed. And I mean, Romans 13 could just as easily be applied to a speeding ticket if, you know, if you get pulled over for speeding. There, that's God's executed judgment on you through through the government. Uh, you shouldn't have been speeding. So I'm not sure the typical conversation around the biblical nature or lack thereof of the death penalty is is really accounting for the Bible in total. Okay, so what do you think? Do you think? Uh, I mean, what was your point? Let's say where do you land with the death penalty? Let's say for premeditated murder. Yeah, I think the best case you can make for the death penalty biblically is that you, the best argument you could make is that it is biblically allowable, meaning I think as far as you could take it would be to say a, a kind of reading of Romans 13 and other passages of similar ilk would be to say that if a government decides to use the death penalty, uh, it's allowable under the... You can't just say no death penalty ever at any time right. biblically, but I don't think being allowable is the same thing as being prescriptive. Right. Yeah, and of course, we're looking at it from, at least I'm looking at it from a purely American standpoint. Mm -hmm. If I look at it from 
another country's standpoint where I'm not as confident in the justice system, although there's there are obvious uh, problems with our own justice system. But uh, yeah, I would say that the death penalty would certainly uh, be could be prescriptive, but not um, uh, not not a just penalty. Mike, I know you have something to say. Yeah, I feel like the starting place. Let's open up the scriptures and see what exactly it says the best that we can. And I think this is where it gets tricky. Is early on uh, Genesis nine, it talks about um, if you kill somebody, then the just punishment for you is that. And I think your point, Joe, that is a pro-life stance to say, hey, that person's life who was murdered or killed is valuable. Right. And so there needs to be justice and that actually upholds life. I think that's a, uh, a biblical standpoint. Now, the question is how that gets played out, right? And do we then believe in America in the 21st century that we are in a position to do that and carry out that sort of justice through our government, how it's currently set up is a whole other question, I think. Yeah, and I'll just add to that really quickly about um, the Bible, the difference, I think an important distinction between when the Bible talks about the death penalty, particularly in the Old Testament, and then modern day expressions of of the death penalty, is that the Bible, when it institutes the death penalty, is doing it as an instrument of God. Like there's a theocracy in the Old Testament, which God is, the, you know, supposed to be ideally the king uh, of Israel. They respond to him. Genesis nine is God Himself, like it's God's edict over this. So uh, that's not the same as saying that a government, you know, because for instance, there are parts of the world where if uh, if a man uh, has sexual relations with another man, they put him they put him to death. Well, it's one thing for God to say that. It's another thing for a government to say that. I think we have to be careful here that even Romans 13, which says, hey, the government doesn't bear the sword in vain, is not a carte blanche cover for any and all governments and any and all expressions of judgment or punishment. And so I think it's an important distinction. It's one thing if God said, this sin requires death in this situation. I think then it's more a question of do we love and trust and obey and respect God versus just saying any government that executes it for any crime is on the same level as an Old Testament reference to judgment. But I think you're right, Mike. The starting point to me is to say, even if I argue biblically it's allowable, uh, I have to look at the current expression of it and ask, is it is it working? Is it in keeping with other things that the Bible would say? And I think personally, when we look at the American system, there are enough flaws in the justice system and in the death penalty practice that at the very least, we would have to argue we should hit the pause button right. and aim at those problems uh, before I, we keep going. Go ahead. I think I kind of struggle a little bit with even the notion that the death penalty in and of itself is a pro-life construct. I think I'm trying to wrestle through what exactly that means because if we're thinking, you know, the typical, if you talk about being pro-life as it pertains to abortion, one of the things you might say is, well, even, you know, a, a little baby that is still in its mother's womb is a human being created in the image of God. And so an abortion destroys somebody who was created in the image of God. And I would say that argument has to also apply to a person who has even committed the most heinous crimes that you can think of, even killing another person. And so I think I have to try, kind of wrestle with it. And I'm open to the argument. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm going to argue against that notion, but I think I kind of struggle with that. Well, part of the thing we're talking about is justice, right? And justice you know, in Scripture would be eye for eye, tooth for tooth, 
nail for nail, life for life. Uh, the reason that it was like that was to try to uh, limit somebody from saying, you killed my son, therefore I'm going to kill your whole family. Right? So uh, the whole idea of eye for eye was supposed to limit uh, retribution to something that was just. So um, I don't have any problem with, uh, with justice if, if you take a life that you forfeit your life because life for life is straight up justice. To Zach's point, though, is the question to me is whether we can, whether that's a, um, anything other than a theocracy, anything other than where God is in charge of making that decision, uh, I'm not sure uh, is a reliable enough system for, uh, for a government. Because, um, you know, I know that Mike has some stats on this, but I remember reading that if you're on death row awaiting the death penalty, one thing that I know about you is that you're poor, period. I mean, it was like uh, all the research, if you are wealthy enough, you do not get the death penalty. I mean, it was, it was something like that. And then, but the statistics bear out that our, um, the way we execute the death penalty is not just. And Mike, go ahead and share those, if you will. Yeah, I feel like um, in the past, I think just over 40 years, our country has, there's been 1,500 executions overall. And people waiting on death row, there have been 165 that have been exonerated. This is since 1973. Post-mortem, right? They've, they've been exonerated or, or they... They were awaiting the death penalty. Oh, and then they... Oh, got yeah. it. Okay. So... So 10%. 10% roughly. Of people convicted and given death are actually found to be innocent. And in most of those cases, we're talking about DNA evidence. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's not... It's concrete evidence they didn't do it. Right. Uh, yeah. And, of course, I don't know if you have statistics on the racial makeup of, of these things. I couldn't figure that so, out. Okay. Yeah. It seems to be widely held that you're far more likely to be given the death penalty if you're black or if your victim was white. Um, like Joe said, if you're poor, I think there are fair conversations about representation and the kind of attorney you could afford or couldn't afford, your understanding of the legal system. But I want to jump back to something Jimmy said, even though I think this conversation of who how it's applied really matters. So I want to circle back. But you, when you were talking about valuing the life of the person who took a life, I do think there's a conversation to be had, and I think it ties into this racial and, and economic impact, is that we tend to dehumanize criminals, people charged with crimes, people convicted of crimes, people incarcerated. Uh, just in Cuyahoga County recently, there have been videos that have been released that people in the Cuyahoga County jail were being handcuffed to chairs and beaten. Uh, to the point they had concussions or unconscious. No one would have known about it except for it was caught on video. And that's happening in Cuyahoga County, which is very and close to And even here. now, when people, there, if you look on Twitter when those videos are posted, there's a kind of a split reaction there. That's some right. people are they outraged. They deserved it. But then they, there's some people like, well, if they were in prison. So Yeah, but you know, but think about this. I bet if you listen to this podcast, you live in this area, you, you probably don't even know about that. It gains almost zero traction on a news level. And part of the reason for that is even politically, it's not an advantageous position to take to say, hey, we should look at how we treat inmates because inmates, for the most part, don't vote, can't vote. So there's no political win there. It's far better to be tough on crime than it is. But look, these people are made in the image of God. 
They, they don't lose their uh, Imago Dei uh, once they commit a crime. They don't lose it once they're incarcerated. They don't lose it once they're placed on death row. So I think there is a conversation to have uh, to say we can hold justice in one hand and then on the other hand still hold that those charged, convicted, or even assigned to die are still made in the image of God, still have inherent human value, and as believers are still souls in need of salvation. And we just need to make sure, I think, that we balance both of those sides out. And an example of that would be to say it should trouble us that black men in particular are far more likely to get the death penalty than, than white men, that poor men and women are far more likely to get the death penalty than well. I mean, that those are Imago Dei concerns. Those are true justice concerns as to equality and equal application of justice. Yeah, I think on the, like, if you argue, like, why we shouldn't be in favor of the death penalty, then you start to move towards some of what you're talking about. I mean, I think a concern, if you don't have the death penalty, then somehow um, proper justice won't be administered, right? And so we lose the sight of, uh, I think it's in Romans 13 even too, where uh, God says, I, I got it, right? So don't avenge for yourselves because there is a day coming. And so you can be hyper-focused on justice now and losing sight of uh, justice then. And that can um, move you towards wanting the death penalty. But I think as Christians, we believe justice is coming. So there is a, a certainty in that. And then I think to your second point, um, just about the opportunity for um, prisoners to hear the gospel, that made in the image of God, to know who the Creator is, to know that the Creator sent uh, His Son for them, the opportunity, I mean, we're seeing that at Restoration Chapel where our church uh, is partnered with, right? So uh, a staff member, Richard White, goes there on Wednesday nights, leads chapel services, and probably of any area in our church, uh, we're seeing the most people come to know Jesus in Cuyahoga, Fall, or Cuyahoga Hills Juvenile Detention Center. And so there's something about the ripeness of, um, of the opportunity that I think we need to consider yeah, as well. Yeah, and, and I think that the point is that when you take a life, Joe is right in like the, the the strongest punishment we have at our disposal, like the heaviest tool on our belt is that you forfeit your own life. But if you're a victim of a violent crime, your family member is a victim, your family member is murdered, you would have to say once you kill the murderer, you know, there's a sense in which even that is inadequate, right? That there's inadequacy. And that's where you lean in, I think, into hell yeah. and this idea that judgment is coming for all people, and that God's ultimate response is that the the murder of your family member is of such infinite importance to him that there will be eternal punishment meted out, not just a one-time uh, death, because even that's inadequate to fully account for what was lost in your family member. Well, what is it that um, this the justice hooks into inside of us, where we uh, want to take a hard line against um, crimes, criminals, dehumanize them, um, especially as Christians. When what was it, Matthew twenty-five, where Jesus says, uh, "Separates the sheep from the goats." He makes a very long list of people where he says, "These, you, you, when you identify, when you do something to these, you're you're doing it to me." And one of those is prisoners. But there's something inside of us that says, "Oh yeah, give them what they deserve," even though. Our whole system is based on not getting what we deserve. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, because you could sum up the gospel in this way. All of us are under a death penalty, right? All of us, right. you know, everyone's sinned. Everyone's going to die because of their sin. We are all in some way living on death row. Every 
minute of the, of the day of our lives, and yet the gospel is that uh, it's not, a life for a life was applied, but it was Jesus's life right, right. Uh, for for my life. So the gospel itself, in some sense, is I was on death row. I deserved to die. Uh, it was a just punishment from a theocracy, right? Perfect justice being meted out, but Christ stood in my place. I, there's got to be an element of self righteousness in it, right? Is right. that I am whatever I am. I'm not that person. Yeah, right. I'm not and, that. And to be honest, I'm not that bad. Yeah, to be honest, that's why I think the death penalty doesn't bother a lot of white evangelicals the way it should, is because a lot of the people on death row are not like us. So it becomes even easier to say I'm not like them. They're poor. I'm not. They're not white. I am. They, you know, they're not. I may have my flaws, but I wouldn't do that. I didn't do that because again, then you would have to get into the sociological factors, right? That poor neighborhoods and and poor education systems and lower tax bases and all these things that produce an environment that leads to crime that then leads to uh, violence. So uh, all these things are too nuanced, too complicated. So it's much simpler to say. If you don't want to do the time, don't do do the crime. And yeah. and I'm not like them. I didn't do that. And I think that that's a that superiority is anti-gospel. Yeah, and one of the things we have to keep in mind too for all of us is that um, justice never seems like it sets us free. Like we, you, know, you use the illustration of somebody does something to this my family member, and then they get justice here on earth, whether it's time in prison or whether it's the death penalty. When that's executed that still doesn't set me free. What you just, uh, Mike, I know you saw the the movie about Charleston, and I haven't seen it yet, but reading enough about it, um, those people were set free. The ones that were set free were set free by grace, by something that they ended up saying, identifying with the gospel in such a way they could actually live it out to somebody else when the other person didn't deserve it, right? I yeah, think, I would... Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think, you know, part of what goes with that is that uh, when we think about justice, just in the sense of the person who committed the offense getting what they deserve, it's almost incomplete. And what I mean by that is if somebody murders a family member of mine and they go through the whole justice system and they are given the death penalty and they're put put to death, at the end of that process, my family member is still dead. Right, the, right. the pain is still there. And I think the the version, the more complete version of justice that the gospel brings is you know, we know that not only is what like, is the proper punishment, if you will, is going to be meted out, but the wrongs that were committed are going to be righted and undone. And I think that's the kind of justice that even we in all resurrection, crave. even yeah. that in the new heavens and new earth, your your family member will be resurrected, and you will fill eternity with memories with them that you were denied on earth. Yeah. Yeah, I would going back, Joe, to the. The Charleston movie. I would have loved to talk to the victims now because Dylan Roof, who was the shooter, was just sentenced to the death penalty just a few months ago. And so wondering how they're perceiving that, wondering how they're engaging with that, because uh, several of them, the family members, offered him forgiveness within 48 hours of them taking their family's life. And to hear them talk about it with freedom, to talk about it as uh, this was Jesus uh, saying it through me, it wasn't my words, it just came out uh, as God moving through me, and they they just looked and felt different than someone waiting to get justice through our government because they'd given grace through uh, our Savior, and that seemed to be um, more satisfying to them. But I would love to hear if we could sometime. Yeah, but I think what you're hitting on, though, is that 
for Christians, there is a this-worldly component of justice, for example, but there's also an otherworldly component. And when we think about something like the death penalty, we should think about it in both respects. Because, uh, you know, again, I think a mentality that says we well, have to have the death penalty because it's a deterrent against crime. And again, I'm not sure the, the numbers bear that out. I'm not sure that logically that makes sense when a lot of murders are committed in the heat of passion and, and those kinds of things. But you, you, you don't just say, we got to have it because if we don't have it, it'll be chaos. We don't have it. That's an only this worldly perspective. I mean, that is a secular perspective. It, it may be a conservative one, but it's a secular one. We need to say, well, there are some this-worldly things to consider, but there are also some otherworldly things to consider, whether that's the gospel breaking in, whether that is a hope of justice belonging in a different world, whether that is the reality of the gospel that can change lives and change hearts and you know those kinds of things. And we want to make sure that however we respond to something, we respond with both those things, this-worldly and, and a next-worldly kind of understanding of justice. You've been listening to Church Unplugged, and one of the things we want to continue to do is make the connection between our faith in Jesus and our everyday lives. So if you have a question or topic that you'd like to hear discussed, feel free to email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. And if you want more information about Christ Community Chapel, our church, you can go to our website, which is www.ccchapel.com. Thanks for listening.